you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. It's nice to be here. Uh, I don't know if you heard in uh, New York and Los Angeles, they're uh, in the papers are saying that we uh, uh, we surrendered to Ticketmaster and all that kind of thing. That's, that didn't happen. Uh, take my word, that's a lie. So uh, that's New York and Los Angeles. We're in Casper, so we don't give a fuck about any of us. So I'm gonna play uh, some music for you, uh, songs you've never heard and uh, some you've heard like a hundred thousand times. And, uh, I guess we'll begin now. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and last month was a little bit of a series featuring the vault shows that we hadn't done yet and we are finished with that and we are all caught up with the vaults and now if they decide to put out a brand new vault we'll be on top of that when whenever it gets released we'll be talking about that as soon as it comes out so now that we're caught up that that'll be nice to get to and this month as you saw a little bit of a preview on monday we did well i wasn't a part of it we'll get into that in a second but burlington vermont from 1991 john you were here with brian harwitz and great job by brian for filling in thank you so much and today we are going to continue on with the OTOTO state month. That's right. One time, one time only. There are six total states that Pearl Jam has played only once. And you can pretty much guess the states. It's obviously not Illinois. It's obviously not Wisconsin. It's obviously not New York. It's not these places that have like big metro areas. But 
it's these kind of smaller places, and especially this year that we're going to talk about, 1995, where they really had to dig for places in order to go play and, and to escape from Ticketmaster. It's happened only a handful of times, so I think this is going to be interesting to sort of see what they brought to these different parts of the country that they would never go to again. And now that it seems like they only hit very, very few spots within the continental U.S., it may be a long time before they go back to any of these states that we're going to talk about in the month of June. So today, let's do Wyoming. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. This almost didn't happen. We almost missed out on on two states here in our little series because this show was originally supposed to be in Boise, right. which is another state that, that only has the one show, but should have been two. And this one, uh, Wyoming, would have been on the uh, the zero list. So, yeah, they had to move this from Boise at the last minute due to some ticketing logistical issues, which was not uncommon for the time. They were using a company called ETM. And, uh, yeah, they just had to, had to pull it off at the last minute. And picture Pearl Jam comes to Casper, Wyoming. It's like, the, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, like, being a kid there and being like, holy shit, dude, like, I have won the lottery that my favorite band is coming here like right. like if Pearl Jam had come to my hometown like holy crap dude we're like they would have played the local like high school gym you know <laughs> like that would have been insane but yeah for the people that were there this was this was pretty cool you got to think we will do Boise in between all of this because obviously the the 2000 Boise show which which I love by the way and we'll get oh, to yeah. that and Great. we'll just yeah we'll speak so highly of it you have to think about that one and Really, if everything went down the way it was supposed to go down, Boise would have had three shows because they had a show booked in 2003 as well. Yep. So Boise would have been like a hotbed for Pearl Jam, so to speak. But yeah, Wyoming, it doesn't get a lot of shows. I went and I, I, I checked it out today and I, I saw like, okay, who's coming to Wyoming? And it's not a who's who of anything. It's oh, yeah, like, I think it's a bunch of washed up state fair type of thing. It's a lot of country music and there's like pretty like you know jason aldean who is still popular you know like uh, travis tritt like those kind of guys i don't yeah. really know much about these guys but i know that their names are passed around a lot so it's it's not like nobody's are going there but mostly it's a lot of nothing hey, you, like, you got to play somewhere between chicago and the west coast i suppose there is colorado which has yeah. red rocks if, yeah. if people are interested in that and if you're not then you're insane but yeah I, look I, I mean somebody has to play there or else what what's going to happen uh, there, there's just not going to be any music there like that's not fair but the thing is I, I went and i checked like how many rock and roll kind of bands are there how many like traditional rock and roll not almost nothing yeah yeah i saw shine down shine down is playing mm. there and that's probably a band that will pretty much go anywhere at this point so right it must be really hard to book in states like that and to figure out, okay, the population's so small, and weirdly enough, and, and I guess because Pearl Jam's the hottest band in 1995, that this Casper, Wyoming show was able to muster up 9,000 plus Oh, yeah, they could have played anywhere. They could have played anywhere. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that the company states like maybe Montana, maybe like, you know, the, the Dakotas, something like that. I'm sure people might have traveled a little bit just to get there in order to be at the show. But think about that. Just, you know, you have to think in a place like Wyoming, which I don't know much about, but I can only make some assumptions on like it's all small town it's all rural it's all like you know national park type places Farm, and I, farmland I, and yeah right yeah. i heard i heard it's beautiful in places sure. i heard it's absolutely beautiful sure. in spots but there's probably not much of a community that's like okay you know let's get live music going here and then you think about that, like the community that wants live music is probably yeah. going to want the country stars that I was mentioning before. And the people that actually want stuff like Pearl Jam are in such a minority that they might not have, I guess, maybe like uh, most people around the area, like, you know, frown upon them, look down on them because it's not normal to them because, like, well, you know, you're there's you're- so few people. You're generalizing a little bit. I mean, there there are definitely cool people there, but they usually probably end up leaving. Like, you know, you you think of Jeff's story from like being from Big Sandy and like yeah. listening to these punk rock records and like I got to get out of here and like going to Seattle and like just being blown away. The, you know, Wyoming, a lot of the small towns, probably Casper too. It's a place where if you grow up and you get into this sort of thing, then you leave as soon as you can and you go to like a Denver or a Seattle or a California. You know. Yeah, and you know what's weird to me, especially for that time, and and it's so crazy that Jeff was able to acquire all this music and kind of have this knowledge. Is that like most record stores? How many there are in, in just local towns in either of those states? I don't foresee them selling like Black Flag kind of stuff. So you really need somebody that's kind of traveled out of the area to have acquired this kind of stuff and and bring it back here. Yeah, word of mouth, yeah. Yeah, and and now it's so much easier because now anybody can be like, ah, screw what's going on locally. I'm going to go on Spotify. I'm going to look for shit for myself. But it must be really tough to find all this stuff and obviously i think mtb probably helps but like i feel so fortunate being in a place that basically had everything where everybody was up to date on everything and i'm not saying like a place like wyoming has like zero nothing of course not they 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 have tv they you know i'm sure it's everything is we're gonna get so many letters Ugh. How many letters did we get for the last time we said we we're going to get a, some got a few. Got a few. Oh, yeah? Okay. I want to read those because I haven't read those yet. Okay. <laughs> anyway, if you're from Wyoming, then please reach out. We would love to know more. I, I'm always willing and open to listen and be educated. And look, if there is a huge Pearl Jam contingent in Wyoming, then let's have a discussion about it, you know? So... The time period here, they they switch over to Casper, Wyoming from Boise, as you mentioned. And there was a lot going on on this day specifically, because this is the first day of the U.S. leg of the tour. We're we're back-to-back weeks doing, like, first night of tour here. There was some controversy that kind of got spun up on this day. So what exactly happened? 
Yeah, so on a couple of days before this, I believe on June 14th, they had to reschedule or move the San Diego shows that were supposed to be at a non-Ticketmaster venue. They had to move them to the San Diego Sports Arena, which is a Ticketmaster venue. We talked about this in that uh, that episode where we talked about that show with Deborah that it came out. Pearl Jam sells out to Ticketmaster, and you know Ed comes on before they even play a note. He's going to come in and talk about it. Actually, I remember, you know, listening to the radio on this, playing the clip of Ed talking in the hotel room in Casper about that to the, the San Diego radio station, 91X. We played that clip back on that episode. And basically what they said is some of the headlines read like Pearl Jam surrendered to Ticketmaster and uh, this is just not true. Uh, we, we've uh, apparently San Diego might have something to do with this because of uh, uh, trying to reschedule the date at the sports arena, which was a Ticketmaster venue. Um, uh, it's gotten a little crazy uh, because out of that uh, comes this deal that we've, uh, or this information uh, that's misinformation, having a deal with. Uh, saying that we've struck a deal with Ticketmaster and that we're going to work with them and that we're going to play big stadiums this summer. And uh, it's just not true. It was just a clusterfuck of just confusion. And it's a miracle that this tour in 1995 was able to go off as relatively seamlessly as it did. I mean, and it kind of didn't, but I like... Here's 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 an interesting thing, and it's so relevant now from what we know of the past couple weeks, but it feels like this past tour was very similar to this little run in June of 1995, June, July 1995, where they just keep running into hiccups and things that they think are going to work don't work. And honestly, back then, fans were more pissed. And now I think because it's just such a strong community, there's a lot of understanding. And obviously the world has changed so much that, yeah, like the the COVID stuff, like, uh, of course, we're going to understand it's such a fragile uh, subject. And, and obviously we want everybody to be healthy that's on stage. But there are so, so many similarities to it, too, that they just had to kind of work yeah. off the fly. And, Being and held together with duct tape and string, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like, they canceled some... Well, they didn't cancel. They postponed some dates after the San Francisco incident. And then, for this time, they, they just ended up canceling Sacramento or and, and, and Vegas because I, I think at this point, probably look what if they just kept trying to do those and then something would happen like that's just not fair for fans to spend three four times the money on airfare and hotel tickets so like i i I fully get that but it's it's fairly similar even though the worlds have kind of changed you know what i mean yeah, there are definitely some similarities that you can draw there. And, and you know, now it's a little more, and, you know, we, you saw Ed kind of get worked up a little bit at, at a couple of these shows. And, you know, a, a little bit of that tension was back, you know, and the whole thing where he's like yelling, fuck you over and over again. And, yeah. But here it's like there was so much stuff going around them, so much non musical stuff that I think when they were able to get on stage, they were just a lit fuse. Like, I think it contributed to the performances because they just wanted to just go out and just get 
all that stuff out on stage because they, they knew that that was their like that was their safe space that was when they didn't have to worry about Ticketmaster when they were playing they didn't have to worry about all the other stuff the pressure going on around them like they could just go play and just an incredible run of shows starting here and and going all the way through to November like one of the best runs in their history you know just speaking musically like everything was firing on all cylinders and every night they went out and just attacked every crowd one thing that's very interesting about this tour which is honestly i i would tell you to go and pause this podcast right now and go search for the casper video on youtube because there is a very very interesting little spot in it after the sound check where you get a glimpse into the monkey wrench radio van and that's something look we've obviously talked about monkey wrench radio but not like this okay so this was the first time they were trying something like this and basically monkey wrench radio is pirate radio and they were going around driving the van yeah. around and people in casper wyoming if they were what like 12 miles away from the van they could get it for about like 12 minutes or so so well, it, it depends was, on you know it depends on where they were frequency like if, right if, yeah if the, you were the within, sea level you yeah. could you could get it if you were within the within the range but if they were moving like i think he one point he talks about like yeah we're gonna get it we're gonna get it going mobile and like you will you'll, right. you'll get us for a few minutes but right you'd yeah, have to, to go yeah. 65 on the highway yeah, i can just see like up. oh if i would have just been following that van listening the whole time oh yeah um, i'm sure there were yeah but like he had done the DJ broadcast after the Fox Theater show, and that was, I think, kind of the impetus for this. But like, he kind of came on and, and talked and played songs, and you know, some of the stations carried it and some of them didn't. But I think he realized like that's a way that I can connect directly to the fans, and like, right. it's not going to be diluted through the media or through MTV or whatever, and like. You saw it again with the self-pollution radio. He went on and just DJed and played songs in between bands. So, yeah, I'm sure he was just like, yeah, dude, let's 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 take it on the road. But it caused this kind of rift, and they mentioned this in the PJ20 movie. It's like the rest of the band is flying from gig to gig. Ed's in the van driving himself, and he, like, talks about it in the book, too. He says, like, oh, you know, I thought it was going to keep me grounded and, like, it was going to be this, like, road dog thing, but he just ended up just getting exhausted from it. Yeah. And the rest of the band was like, what's wrong? Like, you don't like us anymore? Like, we're right. this is what we do. Like, we don't – you don't have to do that anymore. They were kind of at odds a little bit, but that's just another thing that, like, when they got on stage, it was still this, like, alchemic, magical – thing that they created is just amazing there's a guy that's like introducing the whole thing his name is james lane and he's like the most typical radio guy in the world and like if you go to any radio stations and you ask for you know the technical support guy like the guy working the boards or anything like that he looks like this guy that's that's oh you saw that you saw a million is. of these guys in radio shack in 1994 oh, yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and like he's explaining the whole thing and he's like chances that we're going to be caught by the FCC are pretty high. And I don't think they got caught. Before we get into the set, there was a sound check in here, and I think there's something really interesting to kind of touch up upon. They have a couple of jams, a couple of improv sort of things, and you know, going in, the, in and out of small town, and I got shit, and somebody's riding their bike around the floor, which I don't believe is anybody in the band. That's got to be a crew member there. But... 
after you know in in kind of the end of i got shit things kind of get interesting here there's a really pretty progression that stone starts to pick up on and in a way it's kind of like a you know a higher tone higher pitch sounding release that's the best that i can kind of equate that to but it's like it's very pearl jam but however it's very tough to kind of equate that to a pearl jam song if you know what i mean the other thing that i was thinking of that it kind of sounded like and i might be way off base on this is that little extra it's not even a bonus track it's like literally like 30 seconds of music after inside job on avocado you know what i'm talking about yeah it's been a while since i've heard that but yeah i remember there's a little instrumental interlude track thing yeah what'd you think of it Um, it's about 10 minutes long i thought it was excellent yeah it's it's good and like it, it all kind of builds off of Jack and like Stone kind of like getting into groove with Jack and being like, all right, let's 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 keep doing this for a while. It had a little bit I thought of on the upstroke, kind of like No Jeremy a little bit, and like obviously No Jeremy is in their minds at this time because it would debut a few days later. He kind of hit on an upstroke thing, and they just kind of go with it. Yeah, it's very good. Like I would love to hear all these little jams and things that they do in the soundcheck. It starts off with a, it cuts into one that they're doing. It's only like five or ten seconds, but that one's really good too. Like that one was very good. Oh right? no! Like go back. I want to hear that whole thing. And then they go into a, a really kind of pretty ballad version of Small Town, which I'm you know with all the stuff we talked about, you know, being Casper, Wyoming. How are you not going to play Small Town? But oh, of they. Course they don't do it at the show but yeah it's a really interesting sound check show here ed addresses the rumors right off the top and says don't know if you've heard in new york or la the papers are saying that we surrendered to ticketmaster that is a lie we're not in new york we're not in la we're in casper so we don't give a fuck about them we're gonna do a couple of new songs that you haven't heard before and a couple of old songs that you heard about a thousand times so the first song that they do on this u.s tour is Long Road, and it's the live debut.
Yeah, this was fun to hear. I was just so juiced up just just with the idea of hearing it. And I had heard it before. I've listened to the show before. And really, I love how it just kind of starts out with Ed using those chords to ring out and then Jack kind of coming in and it's just those two for the beginning and then everybody starts coming in at the same time. It has that sort of flow to it where they kind of keep doing that from within verse and chorus. You know, it helps build the song really well. I thought that that was kind of a terrific way to, to end up doing it. And, you know, Long Road sneakily is is one of these songs where you, you can play it in so many different fashions. You can take whatever emotion that you want to bring out of it. It could either be like a fast-paced soaring. It could be very, like, heart-wrenching, even kind of kind of heavy at points. It's another just version of Long Road that they could do so much with it. You know, obviously it's it's the first time, and obviously nobody's ever heard it before. Nobody even knows that they, I'm sure they know Mirror Ball's coming out, but nobody knows that Merkin Ball's a thing. So for a small place like this, if you're in the audience, and then you know a year later you have Merkin Ball, you know what Long Road is. You feel pretty special about yourself that you got something that good, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I'll give a shout out to Brandon and Better Band. You know, I did this song for the Better Band podcast, and it was it was a lot of fun to talk about. I yeah, I, I absolutely love this. I I love the intro. The way that Jack comes in is just perfect. You don't even almost notice that the drums are coming in. It's like it's just hits the perfect beat there. You know, you talked about you know the different ways that this song has been played over the years. I thought it was interesting here when he gets to the sun keeps setting line. A lot of times he'll go for it there like that becomes the soaring kind of moment but here he kind of goes down on that part and like brings it down again before it comes up later at the end yeah this is very interesting and yeah to get a new song i thought that the crowd reaction was really interesting too like it gets a really good reaction because people yeah. people are like oh yeah this is like we're what getting is new this? One. this is cool yeah and, but just also an instant reaction of like this is really good and like it's not like they're gonna break out a song that like an improv or something that is is half finished like no this is done and it's gonna be one of their best songs like absolutely yeah just a stellar start to the show and you can never re-debut something so if it happens for the first time it can never happen for the first time again and sometimes they hit a home run with it i think that this one was pretty much a home run sometimes it's tremor christ and it goes a little bit differently but look when when you do hit a home run that's when you know like it's it's a good sense anytime we do the evolution episodes i always say we have to touch up on the first ever one we have to see how it all started and if we were doing this one um long road which i'm sure we'll do in the future at some point like this will be a part of it and we'll sort of say okay where do they take off from here and obviously as we all know uh, sky's the limit we're going four songs right out of the gate it's corduroy spin a black circle last exit and tremor christ all vitology songs right here and you know i think that corduroy is really the one that sticks out the most you get to the end and and the way that Jack is just chugging along on this and it just sounds so much different coming out of Jack than it does on Dave A's drums that it does on Cameron's drums or that it does on uh, Josh Klinghoff or whoever else played it in the last month or so but like it just has this snap to it that Jack just makes work and makes work perfectly it kind of it makes you take notice and then the way the song builds the way the song has that up and down motion on it yeah early quarter i like this they're still like 
getting the feel of it, getting the hang of it. It's not a showstopper just yet, but boy, you can see the little sense of it when listening to this version, absolutely. Yeah, you know, later in the tour, you would start to get the six or seven minute corduroys where they would really go off on it. But there's a couple of things here. And like, I did notice, you know, you and I are not gear nerds per se. No. That's that's not something. Not at we, all. Not our forte, really. But I did notice here that Mike was playing a Rickenbacker guitar, which okay. I don't ever remember him doing. Few and far between, if ever. But it, it does give it a little more of that crisp kind of like bright sound to the guitars. I think it works really, really well. There's a moment in the song right before the bridge when the song resets and he goes back to the intro again and like that part just blew me away the way that they pulled that off like it was one of the most outstanding moments in corduroy that i've heard in a long time just the way that they get it and then pull it off bring it down and then bring it back up best one-two punches in a show I've heard in a long time. The only surprising thing to me about this little section right here is that the band doesn't seem as loose as they usually are during the 1995 shows. There's not too much movement. They weren't. Yeah, this is not a loose show. You're absolutely right. Do you think that they were pissed about the rumors about Ticketmaster and they were just like... Of course, yeah. "Eh." But here's the thing. Usually they're able to bring that energy and and they did. There are some points where they do get pissed off in this and make it about that. Like they they channel that and and that's what's so good about them is they're able to harness what's going on in their their outside of performance life and take it and and bottle it up for this performance. And and it just didn't feel like this show it almost felt like they kinda were I wouldn't say dejected by it, but just like fuck this again and like all right. I think they were they were feeling the they were feeling the pressure a little bit. And like I mentioned like all this other stuff is going around. Like he had to call into a radio station and do a 10 minute interview before leaving the hotel room they were staying at. Like he doesn't have a chance. Like he wants to just be able to focus on the music and talk about the music. And they can't do that here because they got themselves in this position and all this pressure going on around them. Like the thing with 
the van versus the planes and like all this other stuff going on. Like they were under a lot of pressure at this time. And yes, having Jack was a big part of, you know, lessening that over the couple of years that he was in the band and making it a little better. Like I can imagine, you know, Dave, a, you know, not even musically wise, but if he had been in the band, like they would have imploded. Yeah, for sure. With all this stuff going on, like there would have been some sort of break and there would have been some sort of fight and it probably would have been over. But it just goes to like when they get on stage, they can still tear it up. And like, I think that really kept them together. Like they know that like, oh, we just, we just got to get to the next show. We just got to get to the next show and it'll be okay because we can get on stage and do our thing and it'll be amazing. Yeah, I felt a lot of that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think in 1996, what happens in 1996 is they focus on each other a lot more than they focus on sort yeah. of the outside thing. And that's where it really it kind of comes together on Yield, where the band is really, really connected, especially on the studio recording where everybody's on the same page. They had to restructure you know, everything around the way that the band was run, and they ended up hitting on something that, that worked, and it's it's worked to this day. Absolutely, yes. One of the other things that I thought about this show, I thought that, not that things were sped up, there's a difference between things being sped up and things being rushed. And when things are sped up, usually I, what I mean when I say that is that like things get like really fast, energetic pace-wise. And then when things are rushed, things feel like, okay, let's just get this to the end of the song. And, and that's what it felt in Tremor Christ. The Tremor Christ that I like from 1995, and Jack is just a monster on Tremor Christ in 1995, is that when it's open and when it kind of gives it a little bit of a pocket to work with and you hear those toms just booming and, and rattling off, and, and this, it just felt like it, everything was just, all right, let's get to the finish of this. Almost like they were given a time and they said, all right, well, we have this set list. Let's fit this set list in with that time instead of let's make the most of our time. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, I didn't get that sense necessarily, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, in, the, in this version of Tremor Curse, it just felt like, as opposed to maybe what they would do in Red Rocks or what they would do in Sacramento or something like that, like the, those, those drums were just, they were just very tight. They were just very tight and... I think in, in this kind of song, they need to be open. They need to kind of like work on more of a bombastic kind of scale rather than like a, a, a sped up sort of scale. So look, it, it, good and fine performance, but not exactly what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a 1995 version of Tremor Christ. Uh, anything on the other two? Spin the Black Circle, Last Exit? Just Stone. The uh, See his faces? Whoever's doing the video was nice enough to give us a lot of, of Stone footage here. And he's... Oh, yeah. He's doing a, a stomp in Last Exit that's really good. He's all over the place on Spin the Black Circle. It's just like just watching him just go off. Like, this is a really good Stone song. And then Last Exit, there's a little lyric change, too. He says four days, not much longer. Mm. So three days. I wonder if they were thinking about Red Rocks a little bit there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could be the case for sure. All right, now we kind of get away from Vitalogy songs for a second. We go Animal into Why Go into Jeremy. At, like, Animal always feels like this with Jack. Just speedy, just, like, right in the pocket, and boom, in and out. Like, Humbling, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, like, the sweet spot with Animal in this era. I think the story here is Why Go, though, because... Oh, absolutely. Really, you don't get to see Why Go very often in the Jack era at all. 
And surprisingly, I didn't even think it was that much. But on this tour, from this date up until the last day in San Diego, they played it eight times, which is a lot because I don't think they played much more. They they played what seventeen shows? They played seventeen shows in this yeah. little run. So eight yeah. is is basically half. Right. So so what's interesting on this is that the intro is extended a lot. And in the beginning of it, like you can kind of get the sense like, okay, is why coming? Maybe why is coming. But I think a lot of maybe why they didn't bring it back in 1996 is because they were just looking for new ways for it to work with Jack. And, and look, I don't know why they didn't go back to this one and say, well, this worked. Why can't this work in later years? I thought that this was excellent. step further this is probably my favorite version of Wygo that's that's ever existed really um, and this would be another one you know you mentioned doing an evolution episode on long road just add Wygo to that list as well like i don't know how we haven't done it yet but there are 400 a, versions yeah but a, a song with an incredible history and like up and down journey that, it, that it's been on but yeah, like this would disappear after this for eight years, and I don't know why because this is incredible. The long drum intro is amazing. The solo, uh, Mike, it just destroys it. But the overall thing is that it's got like a tension to it, and it's got like a pulse. Like uh, the Y goes with Dave were like very like thunderous, and but they were always very loose. Like it felt like it had it was more groovy and it had a little bit more of a swing to it and the why goes that we get now it's become this kind of anthemic like everyone gives it to the crowd everybody gets to scream it's become a different thing it's opened up a lot but this one feels very tense and very closed off and i thought it was super interesting like i said i i've listened to the show before but it's been a long time and i did not remember this performance this just blew me away like we're going to talk about this again at the end of the episode yeah oh for sure and i think what happens here too is you see everybody in front and there's a a, the camera view is at the side stage on this so you're able to see everybody at the mics doing the backup vocals and and it feels like for the first time in the night and yeah jeff is moving around a little bit but it feels like the first time where there's just good energy on stage where everybody seems like, okay, now we're into the show. Now we're, we know what this show is about. Now we're kind of feeling something here. You know what I mean? Sure. They're finding, you know, getting a little more comfortable. Like I said, it was beginning of the tour, a little awkward at first. You're, you're starting off with a song you never played before. And now they're getting into a groove. We're getting to be about halfway through the set here. 
Right, right. Yep, for sure. And and even something about this, like, yeah, there's some good visceral vocals from Ed, but it's not like, it's not the powerful, fierce, intense Ed from 1995 that we know. I think it's a little, it's right under that tier, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think he was, I mean, I mentioned it a thousand times. The guy wears his heart on his sleeve. You always know how he's feeling. He was distracted. He was letting some of that stuff get to him, I think, you know, and you saw it, like, how how often does he come on and, like, go on a rant before the show even starts? Yeah, I think he was was feeling the pressure a little bit, and that contributes to the mood of the show. One thing I will say about this show that's different from other 1995 shows that I've had a little bit of a criticism on is that sometimes 1995 shows could have, like, no balance, where the first 13 songs, it's like, spin a black circle, last exit, go, animal, habit, like, all these just, everything is fast-paced, and then once they get to, like, song 14 or 15, they're like, okay, now we get to Better Man and Immortality, and, like, we now have to, like, kind of take our breath, and and they do it for a couple of songs, and it's the balance of the set list isn't quite there. I thought that this set list had really good balance. And to go from Animal Why Go Jeremy now into Better Man to kind of almost build that wave and, and kind of bring it back again. And for 1995, you don't have too many of those songs, but I thought that Better Man did the job and did the job pretty well here. It's kind of considered the cool down, but people were, were really into it. It's, it's, it's turning into a hit at the time. It's a table setter for the three rippers that are going to follow. And yeah, like I, I think that the balance is, is really important in the set too. Yeah, and this is a non-even flow set, which it feels like it's been a while since we've talked about one of those, and like they're, true. they're few and far between, so it's always interesting to see how they balance those sets without it, because even flow is such an anchor in the set, like it's always going to be a moment, like it's kind of a reset moment, and when you don't have it, then you have to like make up for that in different ways. And again, they're going back. You you hit them with a bunch of Fatality songs, and like I said, you're going back to Versus and Ten for a couple, and then coming back with Better Man is like a little bit of a reset. Like, here's a poppier one. Here's here's a change of pace in the middle. Yeah, and then look, I think that Jeremy and Better Man, you know, Better Man is not yet going to be the superstar song that right. it becomes, but packaged together with Jeremy, it makes it fill that void that even flow leaves from being out of the set. But then following better man, well, look, we had this conversation last week. This is, and here's a little bit of trivia for you guys. This is the first Lucan into not for you combination that they ever did. They didn't do it at all in Japan or anywhere down in, in Australia. This is the first one. Lucan was just, look, two weeks in a row, we get a really, really angry Luke, and this is where he kind of, like, puts his heart on his sleeve in this one. Original lyrics, too, like, the, you, this is not the fully formed no-code version. He's still ranting about other things. The, the lyrics are very different in the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And I, get, I love the, the juxtaposition of Better Man into Lucan. Like, that's great. Do we even get that? that often anymore rarely, like rarely, yeah right yeah maybe it's like lucan into better man it does the same thing it like gives you the you get the crazy intro and then you hit him with the sing-along and the big moment right but yeah here not for you is the big moment 
I agree. Yeah, not for you. I think we've discussed this before. Not for you was being seen as like oh. one of the even flow type songs at the oh, time. One, maybe their best song at the time. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and look, I think that this one you have to go back to when it's like after the bridge and starting to cool down a little bit. And you're you're just waiting. You're waiting for that to explode. And that moment every single time just gets me. Every single time they come back with a furious vengeance and and that's the moment. That's the moment right there that just gets you fired up. That gets you screaming. That gets you just moving around and, and juiced. That that's it's it's a great it's a great one from this show. And yeah, you like Stone just wailing at the end. This is a, a fantastic Stone show. You know, I mentioned it earlier with Spin the Black Circle on Last Exit, even on Tremor Christ a little bit, but here you get to see Stone. He's adding like it's he's doing a different kind of thing. He's like just going off on the on the ending jam. It's really really good. A very good Stone performance. Afterwards, whipping has a little bit of extra oomph behind it too. Like this, this is this set feels like all right. Let's let's break out here. Let's really kind of find our form and do what we do best in 1995. Whipping oh, yeah. was good. Luke and not for you whipping. Like I would have been in a puddle on the floor in 1995. Like yes, inject that directly into my veins, please. Well, now that we got all the fast ones out of the way, now we're going to get a little bit of the upright bass with Glorified G and Daughter back to back. I want to mention this about Glorified G because obviously, ah, oh, just another freaking mass shooting this week, guys. It's it doesn't stop. It's just it's Every single time, it's heartbreaking to hear from the families. It's heartbreaking to hear uh, the the numbers, and it's heartbreaking to hear the situation. But this one especially just really pissed me off because everybody knows the fallout now. Everybody knows that the reaction is thoughts and prayers, 
and okay, let's let's fix doors instead of actually fixing the problem. And we're, you know, it's it, it becomes this time where it's like, okay, we're all fed up. We all want change, and then they kind of push us off for as much as they can, and then we're just like, okay, it, it's kind of useless, and and we don't get what we want, and. Yeah, it's um, I I felt like I just needed to bring it up because I know it's on a lot of people's minds, and and obviously the the situation with the police officers and not going in, and and there's some I don't know if this was verified at all, but the, apparently some of the police officers went in and saved their kids and not the other kids kind of deal, and it just just freaking awful. And hearing that two months beforehand, they did a full active shooter drill there. And they didn't do what they did in the drill. Uh, it just, it makes me sick. It's me. It makes me sick as a human being to have to see this over and over and over again. There's a mass shooting in this country nearly every day. And uh, you just, yeah, you just wonder like how much is enough? Like when's going to be the point where, where 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 someone steps up and goes, yeah, that that's enough, and and so and something happens, but well, guns aren't the problem, yeah. John. Guns are yeah. obviously gun guns are good yeah. guys, right? Like guns yeah, aren't. The I mean, problem. it's uh, it's uh, I'm dab yeah, I I'm I'm we're gonna have to move on because I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's gonna get me in trouble, but uh, honestly, um, getting into trouble, it's good trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just say I was. Yeah, extremely saddened and and disappointed, and um, you know my kids are gonna be are gonna be going into a, a school building for the first time this fall, and uh, it's uh, it shook me up a little bit, and uh, it just uh, it, may, it makes you think, makes you think about everything. It's uh, just the worst thing that that we. Let happen, and there's there, there are so many things. You know, it seems like all these songs we come on, and like you know, we didn't even mention this during Jeremy, which is we didn't even mention, no. you know, the 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 stuff behind whipping, which is always very relevant, and you know, we're we're about to talk about a WMA tag, which is also very relevant, and like it's uh, there's there's a lot going on, but that's that's one that uh, that that sticks with me. Yeah, it's been uh, it, it it shook me up pretty good. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, it's always going to do that. And and for those that don't know this about me, I've um, my cousin went to Virginia Tech when Virginia Tech shooting happened, and uh, my dad was in a classroom when somebody went in and shot his teacher, uh, like a homeroom teacher, and I, I think he saw it happen, and just like. That's too much. That's too much to have, to have two family members that had to have gone through that. And for just, you know, like, I, I don't think I even understand the gravity of, like, you know, that they have to go into these classrooms and do all these these drills and then the kids need to know, like, how to do it and, and to be quiet and all that stuff. And, like... I don't even know how to approach in a couple of years when it needs to happen, how to approach my kid and say like, you know, this is, this is just what you do. Like, it's, it's just tough. You, you don't want, you don't want to put that reality on your child that like, 
how to like you can't essentially lie to them you know in that situation you got just got to be like there are bad people out there and you know bad people might come in and uh and want to hurt you and i don't know like it's just it's extremely it's extremely disheartening that it continues to happen and honestly like the problem is that anytime it does happen there are people out there that are just like oh well we don't need to fix the guns because everybody should have a gun and more people had guns then we'd be a safer place which is obviously you know considering the cops didn't even go to the bolt into the building complete and utter bullshit all right you, you mentioned wma tag should we talk about this uh, should we talk about daughter a little sure I, I really like when, because uh, obviously, you know, by this point, everyone's waiting for their tag to see what it is. And I really like when Ed kind of goes off on, like, like we talked about, he's going to tell you how he's feeling. And I like when he goes off and does these little, you know, one or two or three line little improvs. There's one of those here that's very good before you get into the WMA tag. Daughter easily, you know, can be... You know, there, there, there were there are going to be some later on, and obviously 2000 and beyond that get really heavy. But a lot of the early ones kind of seem to be a little bit lighter. But this one, talking about everything that's going on around the show, this one felt like it still, you know, had a little bit more tension to it. I've got nothing. Everything's just gone away. Is some of the improv lyrics going into yeah, yeah. WMA? Yeah, for sure. Going alive. This is an interesting spot for both of these because it's like, okay, you'd think. All right, this is where the set is ending here. Songs 15 and 16, but they're going to they're going to go a little bit of an extra mile here. Uh, live is not going to be close to the end. Kind of close, but not close. And look, I think that both are very good. I think that Jack is providing a backbone on go that sounds really good and it, it's resonating with the crowd. Mike sheds two monster solos during go, which are very good. And alive kind of fits in within the pace that I was mentioning before with, with tremor Christ. It felt like it was a little bit rushed. It felt like it was a little bit kind of overdone and, and like almost like they were just trying to get it in, get it done and move forward. And, you know, it doesn't happen with every single one of these songs, but it does feel like they are trying to cram a set in. Speaking of cramming, we got to get to this this hat. That, oh, that's right. This that happens here on stage. This happens here. Live. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So Ed kind of he's getting shit thrown on stage during go. Uh, you, you see tons of stuff getting thrown on stage during go. And during the break in between Alive and Immortality, Ed hasn't really talked at all during this show outside of the, the right. early initial speech. He says, you throw this hat on the stage, and now you say you want it back. I'll do more than just hold it. And uh, where does he put that hat, John? Yeah, he turns around, puts his back to the stage, and then the hat goes down the front of the pants. That's not where a hat goes. Nope. It's not. Well, but uh, that person got a souvenir. Yeah, and he probably put kind. it right on speaking his head of, right after. Speaking of OTOTO month. <laughs> well, look, if it's any consolation prize, an immortality would come right afterwards, and I think that the crowd would be very, very happy with a version like this. I got a highlight of the night alert kind of right up with this this all starts real quiet it kind of takes that ominous tone going with it and then 
Mike Solo, the the first half, it's always the tale of two halves with this here. The first half kind of like starts a little bit somber and then kind of builds and kind of etches and, and screeches in the second half where it can kind of explode. But really the big thing to take away from this 1995 is how is this going to end? This was just like zero to 60 in a second for Jack. Like they start off, it's pretty evenly paced. It's like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. And then Jack is like, nope, we're going to turn this into something else. We're going to fucking, we're going mad with this. We're going insane. And it wasn't the longest jam that they've ever done on Immortality, but boy, it was it was intense. It was powerful. The entire band huddling around Jack as they always do during this, but this was really, really good. Again, up right up there with with "Not for You" is is maybe the best song that they had at the time. Some of the best live versions from this year are "Immortality." Yeah, I, I just second everything you say. It's just it's just wonderful to listen to. Like Jack versions of of "Immortality" are some of the best things they've ever done. Yeah, completely agree. It is definitely the look. I, I think immortality is good in every era, of course, but yeah, it's yeah. something real special in 1995, 100%. To end the main set, you're going to go with blood, and it just looks like I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago with, uh, with Porch that it kind of looked like and felt like a horror movie during it. Blood has the same effect here like the red lights are kind of flickering in and out and kind of going from red to black and this this had like a horror movie seem to us too and and then once you get to the end ed screaming every last ounce of his just vocal cords out of his lungs like that's just he's he's letting it all out there and again 1995 is a perfect time for blood as well so uh, he didn't have a lot of as we mentioned before not a lot of visceral moments blood was absolutely one of them though
Yeah, he's doing that thing, pounding the mic stand and rhythm on the stage. And then he tries to jump and then falls down like he was going through some stuff. Yep. All right. So we're at the encore now. Let's pause for station identification. Only four songs left. We'll get to those pretty quickly. We have two new patrons this week. We want to thank Casey Anderson, who has joined the Horizon leg. And I think it came with a little bit of convincing because he... He started to do a Twitter campaign saying, can, <laughs> I saw people, this. I saw this. can people help me get on live on four legs? And I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Let's see where this goes. And then somebody, I'm not sure who it was because I don't recognize the, the, the handle. It doesn't have the person's name said, oh, the way you got to do it is sign up to Patreon. And I'm like, well. I, you, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, that, that's exactly, yeah, you said it. So the guy messaged me, his uh, Casey messaged me and kind of told me this whole story. And, and uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm tough with this now. Like we have a lot of people that are committed to the show that I like, they, they want to come on the show and, and we, We've been using guests, but we haven't been using them as much as we have in the past because of time-wise and because of edit time and stuff like that. But we do want to hear the stories. That that doesn't mean we don't want to hear the stories. So he told he told me a story, uh, like little bits and pieces of a story, and I'm like, okay, you legit want to talk about Pearl Jam. You know, and then talking about it a little bit, he's just like, okay, I did it. I went and joined Patreon, and, and we're just very, very happy to have him. And, and and now that he's here, whenever you have an idea of what you want your show to be, pitch it, and then we'll get you in, and, and we'll do a profile episode with you, because that's what comes with the Horizon Lake profile, and I think he's going right. to have a lot of interesting things to say. So very excited about that. Thank you one, once again to Casey. And then joining the bonus leg tier is Alex Trechin. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks, guys. It's great. Yeah, very good. So very soon we're going to get back to, you know, last week was really, really tough. And uh, uh, and I just have to take a moment to thank everybody for reaching out. Uh, I know a lot of people, if you aren't on social media, if you just follow and, and listen to the podcast uh, without following us on Facebook or Twitter, then you might not know that uh, after coming back from Vegas, I contracted COVID and tested positive, had to be away from my family for a while, and uh, just had a really, really hard week. It took me a long time to edit the episode from last week. That's why it came out on Friday, and um, I, I just want to thank everybody out there that sent me well wishes and and texted me messaged me and and just were were checking in on me this community as always is is just so great and just it has such a familial aspect to it that everybody cares about one another and i i can't i can't thank you guys enough for just being so awesome and and thinking about me and at the same time i was i was reaching out to people that were around me in vegas to see if they were okay as well and then thankfully not as many people reached the same fate as me. So, uh, but hey, look, it was uh, it was a tough couple days, but I'm over it now. I'm feeling pretty good now, and and now we can start to really get to get back to some Patreon stuff. I think we're the next task is to go and do the next late night episode, which would be Letterman from 1998. Talk a little bit about Matt's first appearance with the band, 
and then we can get back into doing an evolution episode. We can get back into focusing on nothing, man. So we'll get those two things. Those will be the two priorities. And maybe we'll start doing some Debo's again. I know we picked that back up a little bit a couple weeks ago, but we'll start doing that again just to get more content on there. But again, if you are on there, if you're pretty new there, just go through the archives, go through the archives and see what they have. You can do it on there. You can do it on liveforlegs.com. Just check it all out. So if you want to become a patron, donate either a dollar a month, $10 a month, $5 a month, whatever you want to do, you can donate $2 a month if you wanted to. Anything is very much appreciated. Just head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or do the easy thing. The easy thing that I think is just go to liveonfourlegs.com and click the Become a Patron button to donate to the show. We will be having some uh, cool, nice little articles on liveonfourlegs.com coming up pretty soon that will focus on people's show experiences from the, the last month. So at this time, there might be one or two out. Who knows? But just keep keep your eye on that because even you know now we're in this little period of a break. We don't exactly know what's going to happen with Europe, but look, no news is good news at this point. It seems like everybody's going to be healthy enough to go as, as far as we know. So we'll keep doing our thing. We'll keep prepping for it. And then once the shows come around, we'll, we'll be on top of that stuff. So yeah. Um, want to pump the discord up? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Some, some great stuff going on in discord, you know, people are sharing a lot of more bootlegs and stuff, which is great to see. We're getting some, some news in there and a couple of new people. So yeah, definitely uh, hit that up. If you're, if you're new to discord or whatever, we've got a good little group there and there's always uh, something to talk about. And then too, you know, obviously, you know, we're glad that, that you're feeling better. Definitely. Um, but I also want to say thanks to, uh, again, thanks to Brian Horowitz for uh, jumping in on uh, and talking with Absolutely. me about, about Burlington. You know, that's a, that's kind of a quick hit little episode, only about 40, 45 minutes. So hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, Brian is with Hallucinogenic Recipe, and they should yep. be having some new stuff out soon. They're, now, Hallucinogenic Recipe is supposed to start out on Patreon and then move over to the main platform. And I don't think I've done my due diligence with that. I think I've put out the first two, but then there's two afterwards that I've put out to Patreon that I haven't quite put to the main platform yet. I will definitely get the Orpheum one out to the main platform. If not, then I'll, I'll do it like the coming week because it, it deserves to be listened to. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that'll so, be something to look forward to. But they are, they are talking about new episodes. They're talking about doing new stuff soon. So can't wait to hear from them. And uh, just a big shout out to our friend, Chris Warren, who started his own podcast. He's down in New Zealand and he started a brand new Pearl Jam podcast called ventricles pumping he calls himself the pearl jam sherpa and he's just going to take you on a journey throughout pearl jam's history and kind of talk about very similar things that, that we talk about but really focus in on individual songs and individual experiences so it's very cool it's a good kickstart and look we want to give him as much help as possible so definitely check that out it's on all the same places that you can listen to us and and help him out give him some ratings as well just to get him a little kickstart there because we're uh we're a fan of his, so we, we're hoping that uh, that, that picks cool. up and people are interested in that. He, has, he already has like five, four or five episodes to listen yeah, to yeah. so far. Yeah, so. Good stuff. All right, back to The Rock. Stone <laughs> comes back out and says, where's the hat? I want to smell that hat. 
anybody then, else? Then, then he goes he goes back on it and he says, no, actually, you can smell it. <laughs> Ed goes into a story about the other places that he they could have played in Wyoming, including a place called Thermopolis. Yeah, Mike comes on and goes straight out of Thermopolis. Like, yeah. again, how do you how do you not play small town here? I don't. I, I yeah. honestly, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't even on. Right, it wasn't even like uh, the the set list that they had for the encore had black in between one of these songs. It didn't yeah. even have small town. So yeah. And Ed said we could have played Bar None. Is there a city actually called Mititsi? Don't touch Mititsi. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah. I can't help that one. I can't help that one. That one's really funny. We but really, it, but there's like there each each town that he mentions, like a couple. Do you get a little crowd thing? Like there are some people there from those towns. It's pretty cool. Of course, yeah. You got to travel far and wide if they if you find out they're playing in Wyoming. You can't just be like, oh well, I live in uh, Cheyenne, and I'm not going to go out to Casper. I don't know how far things are in Wyoming. I'm assuming everything is kind of spread out. So. And Cheyenne is the only other town I know there. I think. <laughs> right. So right. me showing off my geography, but I know it's the capital because I know all my capitals. But what's not the capital is Cokeville, which he says that they were seriously thinking about playing, but didn't think it was very PC. So we thought Green River might fit there. And I think there's, there's a there's I think the town Green River right he mentions that there's a town called Green River oh I didn't even catch that I yeah, didn't even I catch that I thought I thought he was actually talking about the band Green River but yeah, yeah I, there, I there is a town in, in Wyoming called Green River hmm. okay yeah, yeah. Did, did not know that at all. again showing off my Wyoming geography but then right here he gives a plug to Monkey Ranch Radio and says after the show you can listen on eighty eight point one FM if you're in Casper close to the van and. Uh, I don't think he really mentions it too often at shows in 1995, does he? Well, here and there. Yeah. Not every single one, though. Yeah. I think it's just because it's the first night. I think he's just really excited for it, I'm sure. Yeah. Rear Mirror, the build back on it, like, you don't even hear, like, the bass roll once it comes in. I thought that, like, just the vocals got you amped up, and and at the end, that's where you really start hearing the bass coming through. Jeff is really strumming very hard on the end. The bridge was kind of, like, very open atmospheric. This is very similar to what they were doing around that time, just, like, more experimentally instead of, like, kind of uh, a hard rock progression sort of thing. Yeah, Rearview Mirror is always interesting, and this is still early on in in Rearview Mirror, so you're still getting like there's they're still kind of feeling it out, and I I like when it gets real quiet like this, and I think at one point it even like comes to a complete stop before they go back into it. And yeah, they they were it's really interesting to see like these still you know 95 still early in in Rearview Mirror's history, you know, where it still hadn't been played a hundred times at this point. This isn't a really good performance. And again, missed opportunity to not play small town, but rearview mirror is probably the next best thing.
and the three you're going to end it with, uh, one that I don't ever remember being in the encore at all, ever. Mm. Especially like in yeah. 94, 93, 95, like dissidents in the encore here. That's that's kind of interesting. It seems like the band is feeling real good during it. Ed's voice has a little bit of a growl a little late there in the song, but very, very rare to get as as, as an encore. Definitely. Oh, it looks like I'm looking at, at live footsteps here. 197 times in the main set, four times in the encore. It's only been played 201. Yep. Yep. That's right. It was it was sitting on 200. That and Blood were sitting on 200 coming into this year, and mm. then they played Dissident. So they did. Dissident has that slight edge now. One thing that stood out to me during Dissident, you guys can probably tell what it was. Obviously, Jack doing some very interesting, very good fills during the breakdown. That was that was really cool to listen to. Not something you hear every time. Anything that's good with Jack is good with me. Ledbetter and Porch are going to end this as well, and. Ed says we can play anything you want, and then they go into Ledbetter. It's only the 18th performance of Ledbetter, so it still feels at this time like you're getting a treat. It's pretty rare, and especially like a precursor to the closer. I, I don't think I've ever seen Ledbetter go into Porch, though. Have you ever seen that? Huh, yeah, it's, not not really. It's like you're mixing your time periods there, because like mm-hmm. Porch was the closer early on, Yellow Ledbetter becomes a closer after this, and they're kind of like in this transitionary period together it's like oh all right yeah it's interesting not not very not very often another unique thing that the show has going for it yeah mike's got some cool touches in lead better it's it's a slower version obviously in 1995 like they kind of keep it as traditional to the studio recording it's not one of these that now it's just going to be like everybody celebrate with each other arms around and then like throw out tambourines and and have it be a big celebration it's not that but it's still enjoyable but of course you know finishing on a high is still a pretty common thing in 1995 and that's what you're going to get with porch what'd you what'd you think about this porch version i didn't i didn't really see anything that really separated it from the pack there wasn't anything like a monster solo or anything like that it it was fine but i didn't see anything that really made this feel like a big massive moment to close this if you go back to 94 obviously porch is the standout right that's the epic you know you're, you're getting these eight, nine, ten minute versions. And 1995 is not like that. It had definitely changed. And he, you weren't getting, he, Ed's not going around and climbing up the lighting rigs here. He's not, you know, doing the, the crowd jumps like he was in the early days. So the mentality of the song was changing. And I like Porch as a closer. I think it, it works very well. But here it felt like they were, I don't know if it was not really in Jack's wheelhouse. Like Porch is definitely more of a, of a day they probably type of song musically but yeah it just felt like they put it there but they didn't once they got to it like oh we don't really know this isn't like what it was so maybe a little awkward a little tentative but still you know porch is always a good way to end a show i didn't mind it but it's not one of those 1994 10 minute showstopper versions Right, right. Yeah, for sure. One other thing before we kind of get into rankings and everything like that. If you're watching this video, it's uh, it's kind of more of a throwback to 1995 than you'd think, because whenever there is no video, they replace it with 1995-esque screensavers. Yeah, little uh, little visualizations mm-hmm. there. Yeah, the, the, the color schemes that kind of, yeah, going in and out. Yeah. 
I just thought I'd bring it up because everybody remembers those that, Windows uh, 95 that, screensavers. That, that PJ video guys on the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice job with you're that. If you're out there. But honestly, the the it makes up for it with all the sound check footage and the uh, oh, the monkey wrench footage. There, that was just that's worth its weight in gold right there. Okay, my week to start first on a top three. I'm going to open up my top three with not for you. I don't think our top three is going to be very different here. Yeah, not not for you is just excellent. Uh, just that part where it just gets real quiet and then is able to explode at just perfect, perfect for this era. Wonderful, wonderful performance. Number two is going to be why go. I'm going to pick why go here. And again, I think it's that the fact that you really don't get a lot of versions from Jack. So especially the extended drum intro, there were a couple songs that Jack was really trying to, you know, from the 10 era, make his own at the time. And state of love and trust was another one that he was sort of figuring out on. You mentioned porch that he was sort of figuring out on and why go kind of got the cut after this year, but it is interesting whenever it does come up to see what he does with it and uh yeah they they knocked this one out of the park for sure number one immortality don't have to explain myself my number three is going to be long road the uh the debut breaking out a new song to open the tour my number two is going to be not for you and my number one is why go all right see i actually left long road off i was gonna switch long road and why go but i thought that you know what why go? Why go should be on my list. I know it was going to be on yours too, but very, very similar list there. And now we get to kind of going into what's going to rate out of ten. <sighs> Man, this is tough. This is tough. Like I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine show, but it didn't give me exactly what I love out of a 1995 show. And like there was just some stuff left off the stage, you know? Like they, like they didn't. The songs didn't feel like they had this force to them. They didn't feel like they were completely fierce. There were performances that had those aspects, like Blood and Lucan had those aspects. Not for you had those aspects, but usually in 1995, like you get this monster run. I think Sacramento kind of had it, where it's just the first 13 or 14 are just big monster performances and nonstop, all go all energy and in this like watching it it just felt like it felt like the band was just kind of in a they weren't in a great mood and it kind of it kind of rubbed off and while i really don't like to give 1995 shows a bad rating at all and what i consider anything below an eight is a bad rating i'm like I'm like really in between a seven and a half and eight on this. Um, uh, I'm going to have to say seven and a half. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's not something that I like to say. And I think the show is. And look, I think seven and a half shows are fine. I will will go back to a show that is a seven and a half. But I I just thought that there was something missing. There was like a storyline aspect missing from this. There was a cohesiveness missing from this show that that should have brought it all together that i guess was just lost in the equation but not not a bad show by any stretch but i think that there are a lot more stronger shows from 1995 well you're you're right and that there are a lot stronger shows from 1995 and those shows are all going to be tens 
So I'm going to give, for me at least, I'm going to give this one an eight and a half. Very impressive. Some very impressive performances that I probably will go back to the debut of Long Road. Obviously, Why Go and Not For You, we talked about. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there, eight and a half. Okay, so that finishes up our, well, our second in the OTOTO State Month. And next week, we're just going to keep doing it in chronological order. We're going to go next week, and we're going to do a pretty important one because we're going to talk about, well, a basketball star who's a major fan of Pearl Jams and has been talked about pretty often on this show before. Has been say that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say pretty often, but he's been talked about recently because the last last week we we had done his song. So let's let's put it that way. He's been talked about more than a lot of other basketball players have been. Maybe the he, he's at the top of the list of basketball players. Let's put it that way. It's Dennis Rodman because Dennis Rodman shows up to a show in Augusta, Maine. Because why the hell not? And 1996. Augusta, Maine is our next in the OTOT states. They never went to Portland. They never went to Lewiston. I only mentioned Lewiston because my sister-in-law used to live there, and now she doesn't live there anymore. I don't know hey, what even, town she does live in. Even my band played a, played Maine one time. So yeah. In Portland? No, and uh, I think it was actually it was in a, in, a, in a small town right across the border. Oh. Did you play yeah. small town? Did you actually play it? No, 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 no. We, we, were, we were not that kind of band. But it was a uh, it was a cool show, cool show. Oh, Shout out to man. those kids wherever they are. Played yeah, with a band called Falafel great. Attack, and I got one of their shirts. It was very cool. Nice. You still have it? Uh, maybe, maybe in in a to, box of t shirts somewhere. I have to bust out a Falafel Attack shirt. Why the hell not? Very cool. Very cool. So that's what's happening next week. We continue on with Augusta, Maine. If you're enjoying what you're enjoying on the show right now, follow us on social media. Email us live on four legs podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like. Let us know if you have any questions about the world of Pearl Jam that we'd be able to answer or just talk to us about your favorite shows. We want to know what you're enjoying. Yeah, the stories are very, very important. So we'll get to telling more very soon. And if you're on, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure that you stop and give us a little bit of a rating for five stars. Leave us a comment. Let people know how you're enjoying the show. And that lets us know how you're enjoying the show. So we know like, okay, that guy really loves when we talk about, you know, song appreciation looks likes when we talk about like, you know, the, the Jack irons, Jack irons. Right. Like there's a lot of things to, to dig into. We have a long show. So, you know, there's lots of stuff to love. So if you love shows out of Casper, Wyoming, if you know where Casper, Wyoming is on a map, then, you know, give us five stars for that, too. Why the hell not? So, all right, we're going to finish this one on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. Miss you always. Thanks, everybody, from Wyoming out to Maine. Then we're going to go to the Dakotas before we go to Idaho, but we're going to go back to the Dakota after Idaho. So, we're going... Back and forth here. We're going back and forth all around the country. Wherever we end up, we're doing all the states that you've probably never been to before. Well, maybe some of you have been to Maine. I've been to Maine. But I'm not bragging about that or anything. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. I want to smell that hat.
This is uh, this is Monkey Wrench Radio, 88.1 FM. It is totally and completely illegal, but I'll deny it. So I'm denying it. What it is, is pirate radio at its best. Um, what we have is a 30 watt um, transmitter, which sits right up there. I don't know if you can see it. It's a, it's a silver box. And that, what that does, I'm getting hot. And what we're doing is we're transmitting at 30 watts for about 12, 12 miles um, in the immediate vicinity of Casper, Wyoming. And uh, we are uh, approximately about uh, um, 450 feet above sea level. I'm not really sure about that. But uh, that means that we're going to transmit about um, roughly 12 to 14 miles around the area. And uh, we're going to do that until we get busted. Now 5,000 feet above sea level. Which means how far will that signal transmit? It'll probably transmit about 30 to 40 miles. Now is the plan to do this in every stop of the tour? Yes. Kind of set up the own shop? Actually, after we get to San Francisco, we're going to transmit to uh, while we're on the road. So uh, I'm moving. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to have uh, a very large aircraft uh, antenna set up on top of the van. And uh, yeah, that's how we're going to do it. Traveling about 65 miles an hour, you'll be able to pick us up for about 12 minutes. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. It heated up, and uh, the, the runner woman went to go get a, uh, a fan so that I can keep it keep it cool. But right now, it's a fire hazard. <laughs> but it's a good thing we have the fire department right next door. <laughs> as well as assorted other uh, uniformed people. Maybe I should call one of those guys. I need some help. <laughs> Radio's headquarters. In the van, back lot of the Casper Event Center. Right there, you can see we have law enforcement officers right there. And here is our illegal transmission. Chances of the FCC finding you guys, do you have to rapidly change uh, frequencies? Um, no, well, we have a fixed frequency right now at 88.1, but uh, after after San Francisco, we'll have a, a frequency a variable. So uh, um, the chances of the FCC finding us are really good. Um, the FCC has equipment right now that can uh, that can pick up a uh, pirate radio signal within milliseconds and uh, find you within the hour. Um, I'm hoping that in Casper, Wyoming, there's not a uh, local FCC uh, affiliate, whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't know how they run that particular red tape organization. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, they'll they'll probably find us somewhere down the road. I think we're safe here. <laughs> Stuff on the road. Chiseled on the side of the van. 